kind of the core that's really committed and just really talking with each other and just, you know, this is going to be like a living room session. Let's just be hanging out together tonight as we talk about bitterness and, or no, bitterness is the third week. Tonight we're talking about anxiety uh, and stress and worry. And I think it's really an important time to talk about it too because with finals coming up uh, and going back home for Christmas, maybe that's something that you're stressed out about. Uh, I just think it's a really timely time to be talking about uh, stress and anxiety and worry. So yeah, so over the next, well, so this week, and then we're going to have a break next week on Thanksgiving, and the two weeks after, we're going to be doing a series called Freedom, and really the heart behind this series is that each of us could find freedom from some of the things that pull at our hearts. So tonight we're talking about anxiety, in two weeks we're going to talk about greed and how God calls us to be generous people, and then three weeks from now we're going to talk about bitterness and unforgiveness, and yeah, really the prayers that God would set us free, that that song, you know, being no longer a slave to fear, but a child of God, that could really get in our bones. So that's the prayer for the series. So something that I haven't talked about too much in here is my personal struggle with anxiety. You know, I've shared a lot of my story, but I kind of have left that out just because you know, there's only so much time to share your testimony. But tonight, I, it's kind of cool I have the opportunity to talk about that. So when I was in middle school, I really struggled with anxiety. Actually, middle school and high school. And this really stems from when I was in elementary school. I, so I had a lot of speech problems. So I couldn't say my R's correctly. I stuttered all the time, and really when I was in elementary, I didn't think much of it, because you don't really care what people think of you, I feel like, in elementary, at least I didn't. Just a crazy kid, just, you know, I don't care what people think. Uh, I mean, I'll stutter all day, no one cares. Uh, but, uh, but once I got to middle school, you know, going through puberty, you're starting to, you know, notice the girls, you start to think about those things more, and, you know, like, I really started to think about it when I'd stutter. So it just became this thing that took over my life, and, and really from the time I was in sixth, seventh grade, through most of high school, I really struggled with anxiety when it comes to public speaking and, you know, just in general talking in class even. I was afraid to raise my hand to talk in front of the class. I could always have stuff I wanted to say, but I wouldn't raise my hand in class because I didn't want to have to talk because if I talked in front of the class, I might stutter. And it was just this crazy thing that took over my life for, for quite a few years. And there was even the point where, you know, there were some nights I asked my mom if I could stay home from school or the next day because I just didn't want to have to talk in front of the class. And, and there came this breaking point when I was, I think I was 15 or 16, and I was involved in a youth group. My pastor said, hey, we're trying to get some youth to preach sometimes. Would you be willing to preach? And I told him, I was like, man, you got the wrong guy. I'm so scared to speak in public. Uh, you know, it just it tears me up. It's, I told him, dude, you got the wrong guy. And then he took me to this passage in Exodus. So Moses, if you guys have heard of Moses, he was kind of the first leader of the Israelites to uh, take them out of Egypt from slavery and then bring them through the desert and then into the promised land. There's a big story about that in Exodus. But, but so Moses, God approaches Moses and says, hey, I want you to go and get the Israelites out of Egypt so they can be set free. And then Moses says this, throw it up on the screen, Exodus 4, 10 through 12. This is what he says. It says, but Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So that's speaking right to my situation. You know, the pastor's asked me to preach. I felt like God was saying, Who made your mouth? Who gave you that stutter? I think God gave me the stutter, to be honest, because I think it's something he wanted to show his strength through. And that, so I just took that and said, all right, I'm going to try it out. So I tried preaching a sermon. It was terrible. I still have the audio. So if you guys want to listen, I'm not putting it on the podcast, but 
It's terrible. Ten-minute sermon. It, yeah, I'm not going to get into it. So anyways, it's funny. But okay, so I preached it, and it actually went like not too bad because really a lot of my stutter was from being anxious. And I would get so anxious that by the time I got up there, I'd be shaking, talk as fast as I could. So it really caused me to stutter more, but I learned to be calm because I said, God's called me to do this. God's called me to do it. I'm just going to put it on him. And that's really been the story since then as, you know, my junior year of high school, I took a, a speech class, and, you know, I had to do a lot more. And through college, I had a speech class, and I just kept saying, God, I'm going to give it to you, and I'm just going to trust you with it. And now, so I was, sixth grade would have been like 12, so 10 years later from when that started, this is what I do every single week is I speak in front of people. And it's, it just blows my mind because if you would have known me 10 years ago, there's no way you'd catch me speaking in front of people. And so that just shows that God, God works through our weaknesses. So my biggest weakness is something God's using as one of my biggest strengths now. So it's really, it's really cool how God does that. But, but anxiety was robbing me of the call that God had on my life. Because even, so in those moments, you know, when I was 12, like I always felt like I was supposed to be in front of people, like whether that be a politician or a pastor. And I began to like change, like say, no, that's not what I'm supposed to do because I'm scared of speaking. And anxiety was robbing me of God's call in my life. God set me free from that. Tonight, that's what I'm really seeking for you guys. I know there's things we all get anxious about. You know, so maybe it's just school. That's a basic thing to get anxious about. But, or maybe it's bigger things, like you're afraid that you'll be alone forever because you haven't met your spouse yet. You know, maybe you're afraid about your major, and you don't know if it's the right thing that you're supposed to do. You know, maybe you're not sure what your career is supposed to be. You know, maybe you're about to graduate, and you have no idea what life is going to look like. But I believe that tonight, God wants to transfer us from looking at ourselves trying to take care of everything ourselves and putting that on God and saying, God, you will take care of it. So I'm really excited to jump into this. I believe that God wants to break us all free from the bondage of stress and anxiety. And I think it's, that's probably the reason why some people are gone tonight because they're stressed out about a test and they're studying in their dorms. Because, you know, a lot of things they're doing Friday. Let's be honest. Like, and that's the thing, anxiety, and I'm not, like, shaming them. If you're listening to the podcast, I'm not shaming you. But <laughs> the thing is, 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 uh, yeah, now I have to be more careful since we're putting this online. Uh, what was I saying? The thing is that sometimes anxiety can rob us of what God wants. You know, we get so anxious and stressed out about things that things begin to consume our lives to the point where God has no room in our life anymore. We don't have room for God in our life because we're worried and we're trying to make everything work. We're trying to preserve ourselves. It's all about me, 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 and we're not focused on him. So I'm really excited to jump into this. So the question I'm trying to answer tonight is this. Let me throw that up. How do we find freedom from anxiety, and truly trust God? That's the question. It's a basic question, guys. It's a really basic sermon tonight, but I really want to jump into this passage in Matthew 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn, turn with me to Matthew 6. We're going to go to verse 25, and really it's going to be fun because I picked three topics to talk about for freedom, and all three of these topics are in the same chapter in Matthew 6. So it just so happens I think we're going to be in this chapter for the next three weeks, and it's in a larger narrative called the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of Jesus' most famous sermons. It's probably his most famous sermon in the Bible. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about a lot of practical things. So he talks about, you know, a lot of, like, heart problems. He says, or he talks about lust. He talks about anger. Let's just see here. I listed some of the things. He talks about lust, anger. He talks about greed. He talks about, uh, he talks about giving to the needy. He talks about forgiving your enemies. And really what it's about, the Sermon on the Mount, so Matthew 5 through 7, really what it's about is how do we live out the kingdom of God in everyday life? You know, he says, don't be angry. He says, give to the needy. These different principles. And one of the things he talks about is anxiety. He says, do not be anxious. 
And that's in verse 25. So we're going to pick it up there. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus is saying, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what clothes you will wear. Life is about way more than your personal security. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I've asked myself that question a thousand times. You know, when I'm anxious, say, how is me being anxious right now adding anything to my life? How is me stressing out about that test tomorrow adding anything to my life? Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into, thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So Solomon, if you, or if you read the Old Testament, Solomon was the richest and wisest man in the Old Testament. He, this guy had everything. He had hundreds of wives. He had tons of money. So he must have been clothed pretty well. So Jesus is comparing that to him, saying, you know, the lilies of the field are clothed better than Solomon was. So why are you worried about if you're going to have clothes? If God can clothe the lilies of the field even better than Solomon, you should not be worrying because you're a son or daughter of God. You should not be worrying about, or about your clothes. And then he says this, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, and these are non-Jews, the so non-Jewish people, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I tell you, Jesus was the wisest man who ever lived. <laughs> this is such good. I mean, this is so good. We can just leave it here. Like, this, wow, he must have been God. Okay, so there's four <laughs> points in this passage. I think there's four things that Jesus is trying to get across. So this one's going to be like, like really shocking. Okay, so we should not be anxious. Look how shocking that is. That, guys, I studied hard to find that. So, okay, this is easier said than done, though. So, so we all know this truth. We all, so I think Christians and non-Christians alike know that being anxious it does not add value to our lives. We know we shouldn't be anxious. But it's a lot easier said than done. See, finals are approaching. You know, your U-bill is due soon. That girl dumped you or may dump you. You can sense it. Uh, what major should I choose for those freshmen who are undecided? Or if you're a senior and you're undecided? Charlie, just kidding. <laughs> He's not, he's not excited anymore. Just kidding. <laughs> Back, sorry, that was a burn. Okay, so more serious things. Being anxious about things. Will my friend forgive me? Will he forgive me for what I said to him? You, you may be worrying about that. Charlie. <laughs> I love you, Charlie. Now we're going to get serious. The terrorism going on in the world, you know what happened last Friday, that stuff may be getting you anxious. 
the thing is, is there's so many things that, there's so many things that pull on our heart and things that, things that make us anxious. And, you know, we see Jesus say, don't be anxious, but it's so much easier said than done. You know, and Jesus is God, so I'm not trying to say, so I'm not shaking my fist at him, but sometimes I'm like, Jesus, it's not that easy. You're telling me not to be anxious. You know, the thing is, is it's really crazy. So I did some research on, or some research on anxiety. Uh, and so in America particularly, and in America, one in five adults have anxiety disorder. So they take medication for anxiety. We spend over $2 billion a year on anti-anxiety medications. College students are said to be more stressed than ever before. And experts attribute America's hyper-anxious population to many things. Maybe it's the bad job market, you know, the economic collapse in 2008. Uh, uh, maybe it's the less communal way of life. So we're very individualistic, so we don't have people to lean on because, you know, like, I got to do things myself. I'm going to pull up my bootstraps. And we're not very communal like the rest of the world is. Uh, they also attribute it to the social media age, so we're always comparing ourselves. Snap a picture, hashtag selfie, and we compare it to the other selfies. Am I as cute as that girl? Just saying, the social media age, people want to put their highlight reel up on social media, and we're comparing ourselves to that. So that causes us to be anxious. In 2002, the world... So the World Mental Health Survey found that as a country, America is more anxious than Nigeria, than Lebanon, and, and Ukraine, yet we're so much more privileged than them. And actually, they surveyed 14 countries and found that out of those 14 countries, we're the most anxious. At the same time, we're the most privileged. Isn't that interesting? It's really, really interesting. I think Jesus is on to this symptom where the most privileged people are the most anxious. I'm going to jump into that in a few minutes, but... Before we get there, I just want to look at what Jesus says again. Verse 25, he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I can want that to get in your bones. Jesus is commanding us not to be anxious about our life. And then the Apostle Paul picks up on the sentiment, on the sentiment in Philippians 4. So let's read what he says about it. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I, or again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul says the same thing. He says, do not be anxious. So rather than being anxious, bring your prayers and, or, and request to God in a heart of thanksgiving, trusting in him. Then he says, when we bring our anxieties to the Lord, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the scripture is clear. We're called to be a people who refuse anxiety and cling to Jesus. We're called to abandon anxiety and throw all of our trust into Jesus Christ. So, so when we worry about our life, it shows that we're not truly trusting in God. Jesus says, why do you worry about the things that I am in control of? Instead of stressing out about everything that comes our way, Jesus calls us to a higher way where we bring our needs to the cross and say, God, we say, Father, you're taking care of these things. So when I was a toddler, I was afraid to jump in the pool. You know, maybe some of you can relate with me. You know, so I had older brothers and sisters, and these guys did sweet tricks, like diving, flips. Well, flips where it's like you land on your back, so kind of like, but my brothers tried. But so anyways, they do all these tricks jumping in the pool. But for me, like I wouldn't jump unless my dad was in the water. I'd say, Dad, I'm not going to jump unless you're there. And then he would go stand there and say, all right, I'm there, buddy. 
And I say to him, Dad, are you sure you're going to catch me? You know, like, I'm scared he's not going to catch a 50-pound kid. <laughs> and then I'd say, then he'd say yes. And I'd say, Dad, do you promise that you're going to catch me? And he said, yes, I promise. Jump in, bud. And then I'd jump in. And my dad would always catch me. He'd never drop me. And I'd go into the water, and it felt so great because I jumped in the pool just like my brothers and sisters. And I believe that as Christians, we need to start understanding that God is sitting in the pool of our life waiting to catch us, okay? So Jesus says, I will worry about the things you will eat. He says, I will worry about the things you will drink. I will worry about tomorrow. We need to trust in Jesus. That's the only way we can throw off anxiety, to be able to go into the unknown, go into hard things, go into that test, having confidence, knowing that God is in control. We need to be a people who refuse anxiety and trust in God to be the good father that he says he is. Now let's dig a little deeper. What's the root of our anxiety? The second point is this. Self-preservation is the root of our anxiety. It's easy to say, don't be anxious, but why are we anxious? Why are we anxious? I believe, and I think Jesus is teaching this here, that self-preservation is why we're anxious. We're worried about ourselves. Verse 31 and 32 says this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So Jesus knew the root of our anxiety. We're worried about what we're going to eat. We're worried about what we're going to drink. We're worried about what we're going to wear. We want to protect ourselves. We're slaves to self-preservation. This is why our country is the most anxious country in the world. We're so privileged that we're so worried about ourselves. We're so individualistic. We're worried about preserving ourselves. We've grown up in a world that champions self-preservation above all else. The world says, seek your own desires and protect yourself before anything else. So in a survey conducted by this publication called The Independent in the United Kingdom, did a survey and said, hey, what are the top things you worry about? So I just want to for good humor, let's look at the things that are the top 10 things that we seem to worry about. So let's look at it. The first thing is this, getting old. That's the first thing we worry about. Okay, and kind of look and see what, so what points here are rooted in self-preservation. So the first thing is getting old. Second thing is savings and financial future. The third thing is low energy, which that one was confusing to me. Top three, low energy, okay. Four is diet. Five is credit card debt. Six is job security. The next one's really gonna get you. Wrinkles and aging appearance. Out of all the things to be worried about in the world, that's what we're worried about. Follow up on that. Eight is physique. Do I look sexy? That's the question. Nine is paying rent. I think that's kind of reasonable, but still. And then 10 is unhappiness. You notice none of these were about people, people in third world countries are being fed. No. These things aren't about what's going on in the Middle East. No, that's not what people are worried about. People aren't worried about if they're loving their neighbor. No, they're worried about getting old. They're worried about if they have wrinkles, or their physique, or their unhappiness. What does happiness even mean? Just saying. Like, I just want to say this. Happiness is cheap. Joy is eternal. Okay? It's not about you being happy. But that's what we're worried about as a people. We're worried about if we're happy or not. That's why we can't commit to anything. That's why we can't lay down our lives for anything. We're worried about us first. 
Christ calls us to a better way. He calls us to refuse to, to allow this temptation of preserving ourselves to consume us. At the root of most of these concerns is self-preservation. The thing is, is Jesus doesn't look at us and condemn us for that. He just calls us to a higher way. He's not looking at you saying, hey, you're so stupid that you're worried about getting old. It's a reasonable thing to be worried about. But when we're in Christ, when we know Jesus, when he's our father, we have a lot bigger things to be worrying about. And we shouldn't be worrying about that. So Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says this. This is Paul picking up on this sentiment again in chapter 2. So we looked at chapter 4, and now we're going back to chapter 2 in Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count, count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul says, do not live your life out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It says, stop worrying about yourself. Stop looking in the mirror, worrying about the wrinkles. But look to help others. Look to live your life for Christ and for other people. The goal in our life is not to arrive safely at death. That's not the goal. The goal is to storm the gates of hell because we're growing in deeper, deeper relationship with Jesus and we're bringing people with us. That's the goal of life. John reiterates this theme in 1 John. He says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So the way of love and the way to life is one in which we don't look to simply preserve ourselves and arrive safely at death, but, but we look to lay down our lives for other people. The root of our anxiety is self-preservation. Until we understand what the root is, we can't, we can't root it out. It's self-preservation. Preservation. It's a heart that's fixed on preserving myself, on advancing myself. We need to trust in Jesus who liberates us from self-preservation by promising that he will watch over us, that he will be our father. With Jesus, we can be unleashed to live the life we're meant to live, which is for him and for other people. So I'm really sad that Travis and Abriana aren't here because I know they're big-time, once-upon-a-time fans. I'm going to use an illustration from that show. If you like that show, get excited. I'm talking about Once Upon a Time. It's a show on TV. Uh, so it's about fairy tale characters, and they put their own spin on it. So, for example, Peter Pan's a villain in the show. So just to kind of bring up to speed, so, so I'm going to talk about King Arthur, and it doesn't quite line up with the story. But so the current season features King, or King Arthur and the sword from the Sword and the Stone. If you've seen this, you can close your ears. Or, or if you haven't seen this, close your ears, actually. King, or King Arthur was told from the time, told from the time that since he was a little boy that he would one day pull the sword from the stone and be the king of Camelot. So he's promised that. It's prophesied over him that he will pull a sword from, the, or from a stone and be a king who rules with that sword. So his whole life he's searching so he can find the sword and be, pro, be proclaimed king. And finally he finds the sword. He pulls it out of the stone and then it's just a half sword. It's like cut off, like right in the middle. That's just a bummer. You're looking your whole life and then you find half the sword. So he, but the thing is, is he hid that, so, or so he hid the fact that it was broken off and just put it in his, or put it in a little thing on the side, I don't even know what it's called, I don't know, the, yeah, some type of case or something. But he puts it in there and he just says, hey, I, hey, I have the sword, doesn't show anybody, the, or the whole thing. But he gets the kingdom because it looks like he has the sword. He gets the girl, he gets everything he ever, gets everything he ever wanted. But he becomes consumed with finding the rest of the sword that he doesn't get to enjoy having the kingdom. So he's gotten everything he wants, but he's consumed with finding the sword, which 
The thing is, is finding the sword is connected with self-preservation because he thinks if he finds the whole sword, because it's like this powerful sword that can be, defeat anybody, he thinks if he finds the sword, then he'll have authority forever. So he is so consumed with preserving himself and preserving his authority that he doesn't get to enjoy life. But that's really what this season's about. I'm not going to give the whole thing away. But he becomes obsessed with finding the sword. And in the meantime, he loses his wife. To, I think it's Lancelot. Yeah. And Lancelot comes in, swoops her up. And then he has to put a spell on her to love him. And, and everything goes mad in his kingdom because he's consumed with this. And I believe so many of us are consumed with preserving ourselves that all the while we're trying to preserve ourselves and live longer and be healthier, which aren't bad things, but, but all the while we're doing that, we're actually missing out on life as it's happening around us, and we're missing out on the purpose that God has called us to. Why self-preservation seems to be a thing that saves our life, it's actually the thing that causes us to lose our life. Jesus, or Jesus echoes this in Matthew 10, 39. says this, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And another version says this, which I think is pretty, it's, it's more telling. It says, or it says, whoever clings to his life will lose it. So if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. You can try to grab it, it's just going to slip away from you. We're all going to die. If you're focused on trying to live for eternity without Jesus, you're focused on preserving yourself, on being successful, you're going to miss it because your purpose is to love God. And love people. So your purpose is to be outward focused, not inward focused. And self-preservation at its heart is being inward focused. And you're not going to have the joy that God's called you to have in life. Jesus says, look to the birds of the air. Do I not take care of them? How much more will I take care of you? Only when you're liberated from this bondage of self-preservation can you flee anxiety and run towards life. The third point is this, the love of Christ is the only force that can truly free us from the bondage of anxiety and self-preservation. While the world tells us that, that every day should be focused on protecting ourselves and preserving ourselves and watching out for number one, Jesus says, I've already shielded you from the greatest pain that could ever come your way on the cross. Jesus shielded each one of us from the punishment for our sins and has purchased our eternal salvation. When God had every right to punish us for our sins and pierce through our greatest attempts at self-preservation, because if we're punished and we're put in hell, there's no preserving yourself, and God shielded us from that by placing Jesus in between us and the wrath of God. God shielded us from the, from the worst punishment and purchased our eternal security, so only in Christ can we find true security that says you will live forever. Only in Christ can we truly be liberated from the bondage of anxiety and self-preservation, because we can finally say, God has purchased my salvation. There's nothing I can do in and of myself to preserve my life. My life is founded in Jesus. Only when we understand what Jesus did on the cross can we be liberated from anxiety. Because as long as we think, as long as we think we're in control of our life, or as long as we think we're God, we will be slaves to trying to preserve ourselves, which will then cause anxiety. But when we look to God and say, you're my daddy, you're taking care of me, you love me, you purchased eternal salvation, then we can be liberated from caring about ourselves and worrying about ourselves all the time and being focused on him and on other people and living an anxious, free life. That is the only way, that's the only way we can be freed from anxiety. So Philippians 2, 
the same chapter we just looked at, says this. So Paul talks about, or he says, look to the interests of others. And, and then he pretty much right after this explains how you can look to the interests of others. He points to Jesus, okay? So he says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, th- who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. So he says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, no, actually he said, that's a different passage. He says, don't look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. And then right afterwards, he looks to the one, who, the ultimate one who looked to the interests of others by emptying, by emptying himself, the one who was in the form of God. He decided to come down as a baby, what we're gonna celebrate at Christmas, come down in the form of a baby. He was God for eternity. Comes down as a baby and lives a perfect life in this world with all the temptations, all the things that come his way, and then he's obedient to the point of death, death on a cross, so, or so that each of us could be freed from looking to our own interests because Jesus forsake that. Jesus, for, Jesus threw that aside and said, I'm not going to preserve myself. I'm not going to stay up in heaven while all of us are headed towards hell. Jesus said, I'm going to come down, forsake self-preservation, die on the cross for your sins, and that liberates us that's what liberates us. The greatest act of selflessness the world has ever seen. When we become in relationship with the one who did that, when we understand his love, that frees us from being a person who just looks to ourselves. Because we look to our king, to our God, and say, he forsook everything for me. I must forsake everything for other people. We stop worrying about ourselves. We stop being anxious about our life. Because we're free from that bondage of self preservation. For those of us who trust in Jesus, what can anyone or anything do to you if you have eternal salvation? What can anyone do to you? What can anyone take from you? If you're grounded in Christ, if you're grounded in the cross, if you have eternal salvation, what can anyone really do to you? Give you a failing grade on a test? What's that going to mean in eternity? I'm not saying you should get a failing grade on the test. I'm just saying, what's that going to do? Laugh at you or even kill you? What can really happen to us if we're grounded in Christ? I'm not advocating for a failing grade or, or that you just go out and get killed, but I am advocating for, for, for a level of confidence and security in Christ that transcends the temptation to worry about ourselves, to worry about school so much where it takes from our life, to worry about our peers and what they think of us, to worry about persecution. We need to not allow these things to take over our lives. We need to trust in God who takes care of the birds of the air and says, I will take care of you as well. So, he, so Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says this. I think this is really, really powerful. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do? do to you when you're in Christ? Why are you anxious? What can man do to you? Kill you? As you're Jesus then, what can man do to you? When I think about this level of confidence and security, I think about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Maybe you don't think about that, but I think about this awesome scene. So Neville Longbottom, if you guys know who he is, awesome character. I love Harry Potter, if you don't know that. But, so let's do a marathon this Thanksgiving break if you're in town. But anyways, so... So Neville Longbottom, it's in like the final scene of, 
or the last movie, he teaches us something about, about living this life free of anxiety. And he was really an anxious person throughout the whole series. So at this point, they think Harry's dead. And then he gets this burst of courage, and he says this. He says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Harry's gone. People die every day. Friends, family, yeah. Yeah, we lost Harry tonight. But he's still with us in here. And that's a little cheesy, but that's what he said. He points at his heart. He's still with us in here. So is Fred, Remus, Tonks. But they didn't die in vain. But you will. And he points across to the bad guys. Because you're wrong. You will die in vain. But we're not going to because we lived for the truth. So Neville experiences this, this liberation throughout the series that, that I believe that God wants us all to experience tonight. He, he realizes that since he and his friends are in the right, since they're fighting for the truth, that there's really nothing that the bad guys can do to them. Even if they kill him and his friends, their story will live on. They'll live on as people who fought for what's right to the very end. And, and what's going to happen? The bad guys win. You know, they'll live an extra 20, 30 years, and they'll die too. But their story is going to be terrible. Their story is going to be about one for evil. But the story of Harry and his friends will be one of pursuing the truth, pursuing good. And Neville says, what are you going to do to us? Who cares if you killed them? We're living for the truth. And, and obviously Neville didn't quite have a Christian theology. But I, think we can, but I think we can learn an important truth from this. Knowing that your life has meaning and that you will live on forever with Jesus liberates you. If you're a Christian, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins has purchased your salvation and given you an eternal purpose in life should liberate you. You will not die in vain, but you will have an eternal story. There's nothing that anyone can do to you to take that away from you. What are they going to do to you? Kill you? Then you live on with Christ. Persecute you? Then you'll be a witness to people. Laugh at you? Then you'll become more like Christ, the one who, the one who is rejected in the worst of ways. So what, not have money in the bank? Jesus says your treasure's in heaven. Come on, what are they going to do to you? Are you not going to have food? Well, Jesus promises that he's going to take care of you. He says that in, that in that passage. There's nothing that anyone or anything can do to us. Christ fought for you on the cross and continues to fight for you every day. It says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Come on, this needs to, this needs to liberate us from anxiety. God is your heavenly Father who will take care of you, and you have no need to worry. So when you live a life in this reality, the reality of having an eternal purpose and eternal security in Christ, the things, the things that pull us down seem to get strangely dim. Strangely dim. And I even take that all the way to, you know, let's say the terrorism stuff that's happened. It, you know, it scares everyone. It scares me. But really, if that happened right now in this room and we're all gone, you know, those of us who are Christians at least, guys, like, what are they going to do to you? We're going to heaven. We're going to be with Christ. Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, if I'm living, I'm going to live for Christ. He says, if I die, I'll be with Christ. So come on. Like, what are you going to do to me? Are you going to kill me? That's the mentality we need to have. When we have that mentality, when we're secure in Christ, we have put our complete trust in him. This liberation happens where we stop worrying about these honestly meaningless things in the grand scheme of life. And we start worrying about the things that matter. So the fourth thing is this. The love of Christ frees us to seek the things that matter. Let's read a couple verses again from that passage. So starting in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? I've said this like, this is my third time reading this, I think. Let's let this get into us. Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, 
and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And this is the verse that I really want to land on tonight. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So pay special attention to verse 33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He says, let God worry about the small things, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. And you worry about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You take care of loving God and loving people, and let God take care of the rest. And don't be anxious about tomorrow, for God will be anxious. So God will worry about tomorrow for you. When we understand who we are in Christ and that he is taking care, care of us, we're free to truly pursue his kingdom. So earlier we talked about a passage in Philippians 4. So, or so we've been in Philippians 4 and 2. Now we're going back to 4. So Paul told us not to worry about anything but to pray about everything. He says, allow the peace of God to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then right after this, he points to the things, the things that we're called to really be thinking and worrying about. Philippians 4, 8, 9. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. This is our calling. We're called not to worry about preserving ourselves or be anxious about temporary things, but we're called to trust Jesus ground ourselves in his work on the cross, and fix our eyes on the things that, the things that matter. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, these are the things we're called to worry about. We're not called to worry about preserving ourselves. We're not called to worry about advancing ourselves. You know, do I got enough stuff on my resume to get a great job after college? Yeah, that's fine. Pursue those things. I want you to achieve things. But that's not our first pursuit. That does not come above everything else. School is not more important than God, okay? School is not more important. Your job is not more important. Nothing is more important than pursuing God. We're called to be a people who seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first and foremost, and then allow God to take care of the rest. This is a liberating thing, to be able to focus on the things that matter and pursue Jesus with all that we have. So, so a very good example of this is our worship director, Matt McClellan, and he's not here tonight, so I can brag on him. Uh, so when he was a senior and I was a sophomore, it was the first year we were trying to start small groups here. And to be honest, we hadn't, like, done a lot of preparation for it, and it's, like, it's actually, I think, in August, right before school was starting, and Jonathan's trying to find a couple of smart leaders to start a small group. And, and I said I'd be in. Like, I didn't really do a whole lot on campus, to be honest, besides school and just doing Chi Alpha. But, you see, Matt was really involved in the music ed department, and he was taking, I think, 18 credits that semester, and I think it was his second to last semester, so it was a really busy time for him. And, and at first he said, no, I can't do it, Jonathan. I was pretty bummed. But, but eventually he prayed about it, and he said, you know what? I'm going to seek God first and just let everything else take care of itself. So there's things he could have did with the, or things he could have did with the music department, but he just said, I'm not going to worry about that. God will take care of my resume. And that year we led a small group together, and it was an incredible small group. There's 12 guys or so that came and, you know, got connected and, and grew closer to Christ. And, and then Matt began to realize that 
there's this calling of ministry on his life, and now he helps us out um, in ministry, and, and he leads a small group still. You know, that's like three years later. He's still leading a small group. It's really cool. But God took care of the job situation. You see, he was getting towards the end of his time at our time as a student. You know, he, like he needs to get his resume, you know, looking good, looking for a job. And now Matt has an orchestra director job up in Waverly, and he's actually doing that tonight. Um, he's actually at Allstate. I think he had two students who, or who made it, so that's where he's at tonight. And God took care of the job. He didn't do all the things that some of the music ed people do, but, but he said, I'm going to focus on God first and foremost, and I'm going to focus on advancing his kingdom on campus, and, and my major and my career come secondary to that. And God took care of the job. He got a job right away after college. Guys, this is the spirit that God's calling us to on this campus to focus on the things, the things that matter, to not be so anxious, to not be so anxious about some of these things like finding a spouse or a future career or a homework or even what we'll eat, but to focus on seeking God first and foremost and allowing him to take care of the rest. Our first priority on this campus is to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves so that people can find Jesus, that goes above everything else. It goes above all the things we get anxious about. My question for you is, what are you getting anxious about? Are you getting anxious about that test? Or are you getting anxious about, anxious about whether or not that friend sitting next to you who doesn't know Jesus will find him this year? What are you praying about? What are you thinking about? God calls us to seek his kingdom first and foremost, and he'll take care of the rest. What are you worrying about? What should you be worrying about? Those are the questions we need to be asking ourselves. Let us be a people who keep the main things the main things and allow God to take care of the secondary things. Let us be people who read Scripture daily. You know, who cares how much homework we have? We're going to read Scripture. We're going to do that. We're going to worship Jesus daily. Let us be people who tell our friends about Jesus. Come on. We need boldness to rise up in this place, to tell our friends about Jesus, to bring our friends to Chi Alpha. Let us be a people who dive into this community dig deep, and really do Christian life together. And then let's let God worry about the rest. The worship team would come up. <clears throat> the reality is, each of us in this room, in some form or the other, struggle with anxiety, stress, and worry. <clears throat> you know, like I'm talking tonight, like I'm calling us to a higher way, but I, but I do recognize that everyone struggles with it in some form or the other. You know, and maybe you have clinical anxiety, you take medication, so I'm not trying to be flippant about it. I know it's not just a switch. You know, maybe, or maybe you don't have medical anxiety or clinical anxiety, but you know, maybe you just struggle being pretty anxious you know, a lot. You're just anxious about these different things I talked about, like school and some of these other things. Maybe you're worried about this test coming up or just giving things to God or, or maybe you're thinking about, you know, I'm going home for Christmas. I haven't been home for a few months. You know, what's that going to be like? Maybe you're worrying about, hey, what's my future going to hold? Where am I going to work after college? Am I ever going to find a spouse? Maybe you're worried about the terrorism that's been happening throughout our world, the persecution of Christians that's been happening. Maybe you're worried about these things. And it's understandable. Jesus is not condemning any of us tonight. He looks at each of us and says, I understand, but I'm calling you to a better way. God wants to break the chains of anxiety off of our life tonight. And he wants to free us from the bondage of self-preservation and send us on a mission to know him more and to bring people into the kingdom. And the only way we can truly be free from anxiety is if we're in right relationship with Jesus Christ. If you, guys, if you haven't put your faith in Christ or if you just aren't walking with Jesus daily, 
I believe that God wants to, to just rearrange some priorities tonight. I believe that God wants to bring you in right relationship. Because really, you're never going to be free from anxiety unless you can call yourself a son or daughter of the king. And, and guys, really the most liberating thing in the world is to understand the gospel. You know, like a lot of us grew up in church, I'm sure. But my question is, do you understand the gospel? Do you understand that Jesus stood in your place and paid your penalty, the sin? Guys, that's our penalty to be on the cross, to, to be beat like that. That's our penalty. That's what our sin deserves. It says in Romans, it says, the wages of sin is death. That's what each of us deserve. Is that really set in with you, though, that that should have been you on the cross? Because when you understand that the king of the universe bore that punishment for you, that, that liberates you from worrying about yourself. Because you saw a king who came down from heaven, and we're going to celebrate this, guys, baby in a manger. I know it's kind of a joke a lot of times, baby Jesus. But seriously, came down, that's, guys, that's, it's really humiliating. For God to come down as a baby, be born in a manger, like not even have a place to lay his head, that's really, guys, that's humbling, that's humiliating. But God did that for us. He threw off every form of self-preservation. And the only way we can respond to that kind of love is to be grounded in him, to be grounded in the truth of the gospel, and to throw off all self-preservation. Self That's the call. But until we truly understand the gospel, until we truly understand what Jesus did, it's never going to set in. We're never going to be free from anxiety because we will always be in bondage as long as we think that it's on our own means. It's, it's up to us to go to heaven. As long as we think that way, we'll never be liberated from anxiety. We're going to try to pull up our bootstraps and try harder. We're going to you know, worry about our life, you know, just be worried about the next step. Until we, until we understand that God sent his own son to die on the cross for each of us, he stood in the place of the wrath of God so that each of us could be free, until we really, truly let that set into our hearts is we're not going to have freedom from anxiety. And tonight, God is calling us to just reflect on the gospel, to reflect on what Jesus did, to reflect on the fact that Jesus bore our punishment. Jesus paid our penalty. Jesus humiliated himself for each of us. So, guys, the call is for us to stop worrying about ourselves and to, and to be willing to, to, truly, to truly give up everything, to say, I'm not going to cling to my life, and say, I'm going to give everything to God and, and love him with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind, and love people the way Jesus loves me. That's the call. So if you guys would stand with me. God is calling us to be a people who are free from the bondage of anxiety. He's calling us to be a group of students who don't worry about ourselves, but we're always looking, for the, always looking for the interests of other people. He's calling us to be people who lay down our life for our friends. He's calling us to understand his love in such a way that it frees us from this need to worry about our lives. He is your dad. He's your God, your father. That frees you from worrying about your life. The king of the universe, the king above the 80 billion galaxies, calls you son or daughter. That should free us from worrying about a test tomorrow. You think he doesn't know about the test? You think he doesn't know about your relationship struggles? You think he doesn't know about the terrorism that happened in Paris? You think he doesn't know about these things? God knows every single thing about us. And he promised, he said, look at the birds of the air. Look at them, do I take care of them? I'm gonna take care of you. And guys, for some of us, you know, that could end in dying for our faith. That could, that could end in that. But even if, even if someone takes our life for the gospel, even if that happens, we still have freedom in Christ because we're going to be eternally with him. We're going to be with Jesus. That's what it's about. Guys, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Guys, it's about, 
it's not about getting out of hell for free. It's not, oh, get out of hell free card. That's not what it's about. It's about being with Jesus forever. And when we know, guys, when we understand that truth that we are going to be with Jesus forever and that he loves you, that he's caring for you, that he worries about you for you, you don't need to worry about yourself. When we know that truth, then we're liberated from anxiety. Can we be this people who stop worrying about ourselves? Guys, we're the most narcissistic generation in all the world, ever, ever. That's what experts say. We're the most narcissistic generation ever. We worry about ourselves more than any other generation ever has. Can we throw off that stereotype and that cultural trait and say, I'm going to worry about other people. I'm going to love God with all my heart. I'm not worried about building my resume. I'm worried about loving people on this campus. That's the call. You guys bow your heads. There's two ways to respond tonight. So the first one's this. If you're a Christian, but, but you struggle with anxiety, stress, and worry, I believe that tonight God just wants us to do something symbolic and say, you know, say, Dad, I trust you. That's the call tonight, just to say, Dad, I trust you. I trust that you're taking care of everything. Dad, I trust that you're going to take care of the finals. You know, I'm going to do my part and study. God, I'm going to do my part and live at peace with everyone. But, God, I'm going to trust you to take care of it. The result is up to you. So if you just want to raise your hand, just say, God, I'm trusting you. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the hard times in life, I'm trusting you. So that's, God, that's our call tonight. God, that's our prayer, just saying, God, we trust you. Dad, we trust you. You're taking care of it. Dad, you take care of the birds of the air, and you're going to take care of us. That's our prayer. And then the second question is this. If tonight, if you're not in right relationship with Jesus, maybe like you've never been in right relationship with Jesus, or maybe you know, it just seems like you've walked away for a while, and you want to make a recommitment tonight or commit for the first time to follow him, if you just put up your hand, I just want to pray for you. If there's anyone in this room who wants to recommit to Jesus or make a commitment for the first time. All right. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for this group of students who have come tonight and said, Lord, we're just going to celebrate you, and God, we're going to study your truth and just find freedom, God. God, that's why we came tonight, just to be, be in your presence. It says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. God, I thank you for these students. And I just pray that as we sing one more song, I just pray that freedom would reign in our hearts. I pray that the gospel would penetrate our hearts, God. I pray that if we don't quite, don't quite grasp the gospel, God, that tonight we'd continue to, to grasp it more. So, Lord, have your way as we worship you for the next few minutes. God, we love you so, so much. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.